Uh, If you're not part of the kids program, I'd invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. This is going to be our last week in the book of Hebrews, um, and uh, uh, we've got a rich passage to look at this morning. Uh, As I thought about our passage this week, I thought about a a bumper sticker that I uh, see around town. I don't have a lot of bumper stickers on my car, but sometimes it's entertaining to see all the different bumper stickers. And there's one that you can see in Baltimore that's very simple. It's just black and white, and it says, Baltimore, comma, actually, I like it. Have you seen this before? Baltimore, comma, actually, I like it. Uh, It always makes me laugh um, because to me, uh, it's it's sort of honest. It acknowledges that Baltimore has a perception problem. uh, And it it also acknowledges that probably things aren't perfect here um, in our city. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to celebrate it. Uh, What I've found about Baltimore people is that we feel very free to criticize our own city But if somebody from the outside criticizes our city, we're ready to fight them tooth and nail about how great this city is and about how actually we really like it. Uh, If you're from Baltimore, you know that there are some problems. There are some big problems, and uh, we're not naive to that fact. Uh, But we are here. This is our city, and we work together uh, to make it a better place. We're fiercely loyal, but we also hunger and want to see something better for our city. And so we come to this final sermon in uh, the book of Hebrews. Um, We've seen all throughout that uh, this book raises up the beauty of Jesus. Uh, We see the beauty of Jesus as a better hero. We've seen him as uh, the better or best high priest. We've seen him as the tabernacle, God dwelling with his people. We've seen that he comes to offer us a better covenant He comes to offer us a better rest. But now we come to what I call the last better in the book of Hebrews, and that is a better city. What does Jesus have to do with a better city? So let's read Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm going to be reading verses uh, 1 through 16. This is God's word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, and though in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places 
by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks that it speaks deeply to our hearts, that your spirit comes and uh, applies it to our lives. And so we pray that as we meditate on your word now, that your spirit would come, open our eyes to see the truth of the scriptures, to see the truth of the gospel, and refresh us in its power and remind us of the beauty of our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we've, been, we've spent about six weeks in the book of Hebrews uh, over the past few weeks, and uh, this is such a rich book. We've only scratched the surface of sort of all the beauty that's here, and we're only going to scratch the surface of the beauty of our passage this morning. There's so much we could talk about. But we've also acknowledged that the book of Hebrews can be a little tricky to study. We don't know who wrote this book. Uh, we don't know who it was written to. We don't know the audience. And we don't know the occasion upon which the book was written either. So there's a lot of unknowns. But what we can gather is that the book of Hebrews was written to those who were drifting away, those who were struggling deeply with their faith and wondering whether it was all worth it. We've said that it's written to those who are counting the costs of following Jesus and really wondering whether the cost is a little bit too much. It's written to those wondering whether all that time and all that money and all that giftedness could be spent in a better or different sort of way. It's written to those who struggle with the cost and the inconveniences of following Jesus, wondering whether maybe the old ways of relating to God might be just a bit easier. And so that's what the book of Hebrews really speaks into, and it brings us one of the most repeated words all throughout the book, and that is the word better. And the main point of this complex and thick and rich book could be summarized in really three words. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The writer wants to hold up for all to see the beauty and the superiority of Jesus Christ on display for our hearts to gaze at and be swept up in. Well, our passage this morning talks about a better city, and, and what I want to do with this passage is, is work backwards through the passage. I want to start by looking at that, that verse, verse 14, that talks about a better city, and then I want us to look at the implications of what citizenship in that city looks like. And we'll see that citizenship is expressed in a passion for truth, verses 7 to 9, and that citizenship is expressed in love for one another, verses 1 to 6. 
So as we look at this book from backward, or this section from backwards to forward, let's begin by looking just simply at verse 14, which talks about a better city. Verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Uh, many of you know I grew up in this area. Uh, I grew up in uh, northeast Baltimore County, sort of in a part of Baltimore County where uh, the suburbs meet the country. And so where I grew up, I was surrounded by uh, farms and big properties and lots of acres. And uh, there were farmers all around us. And I even worked at the corner deli at the very end of the street and so throughout the day, each uh, day, farmers would come in and get coffee or sandwiches or something along those lines. And uh, when I first started working there, I had the privilege of mopping up the floor after all the farmers tracked in manure from being out in the fields every day. It was, uh, it was quite a job. And so growing up uh, in that context, I couldn't uh, wait to sort of get out and to be around more people and to be around more uh, where the action was and all the excitement was. Well, now I think of myself, having lived in the city for just about a decade now, I find myself uh, uh, rethinking all that and missing uh, the country life at points and the quietness and the stillness and the beauty of it all. And what I've learned over the years is that some people, some folks are just wired to love the city. Uh, they love the action, they love the buzz, uh, they love how congested it can be at points. But there's other people that are just wired differently. Some people are wired to love the suburbs and wired to love the subdivision. Uh, and then there's others out there who are wired more uh, for the country living, for the wide open spaces of rural contexts. And I don't know which one you are as you're joining us this morning, but whether you love the city or whether you love the country, I have some news for you. In the Bible, heaven is actually described as a city. Did you know that? Heaven is described as a city. Now, for you country folks, that might be a little discouraging, but I would concede this, that the Bible describes, yes, heaven as a city, but in the center of that city is a beautiful garden with a beautiful river that flows through it. For you country folks, there's some things there for you as well. But yes, heaven is described as a city. It's actually called the New Jerusalem. And if you want to learn about this city, you can just turn in your scriptures to, to Revelation 21. Put your imagination on as you read this beautiful passage about this heavenly city. Because it says that the city is radiant with the glory of God. It's described in all these opulent terms with all these different jewels and gold and all these other precious metals. Uh, it tells us that there's no need for uh, a sun or a moon or stars in the sky because the glory of God provides light for everyone day in and day out. This city is full of all sorts of diversity. It's full of nations and tribes and languages and people groups. But perhaps the most beautiful part of this city is that it is described as a place where there is no suffering and there is no pain. It's a place where God has wiped away the tears from every single eye. And it's an eternal city an eternal city that will have no end. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty great place, doesn't it? 
Sounds like a beautiful place to spend all of eternity. And so one of the most important questions is, how do we secure a place in this city? How do we move into this eternal city of beauty without any suffering? How do we get our hands on a piece of real estate in this beautiful city? Well, Revelation 21, amongst all of its descriptions of this heavenly city, offers us a warning in verse 27. It says, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus talked about this city too. Uh, It's not just in the book of Revelation. Jesus talked about it as well. And he actually says that when he ascends back into heaven, that means he's going to get it ready for us. He said in John chapter 14, actually a a passage, Lord willing, that I'm going to preach on next week. He says in John 14 verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you. So what that means is that Jesus right now, even as we speak, is preparing this heavenly city for his people. So again, the ultimate question is, how do we gain access to this city? How do we move in? And, and, the, and that question is, is even more acute when we think about it in this way. How do we who are unclean by sin and by falsity, how do we gain citizenship in this beautiful city, in this heavenly city? Well, Revelation 22 verse 14 tells us, It says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life that they may enter the city by the gates. See, this is the power of the gospel, friends, that tells us that when we, by faith, receive God's free gift of grace, we are washed. We become cleansed by his blood. We are given the goodness of Jesus Christ himself, and our name gets put on the list. At that moment of salvation, we become immediate citizens of this heavenly city, and we get to taste of its beauty now, but one day we will experience all that it has to offer in all of its fullness. And so, friends, what that means is, is that if you are in Christ, if you've experienced that gift of salvation, then you are a citizen of that better city. You are a citizen of that heavenly city that is to come. And friends, this citizenship, if in you are indeed in Christ, this citizenship is your true and ultimate citizenship. And what that means is you might be a citizen of Baltimore City, but this city is better. You might be a citizen of the United States or of some other country, but this citizenship is better. You might have all sorts of allegiances, whether it's to sports teams, whether it's to companies, whether it's to political parties, but all those allegiances are trumped by your heavenly allegiance, by your loyalty to this heavenly city. And what our passage wants us to see is this. 
that as we are citizenships, citizens of that heavenly city, our citizenship becomes expressed in all sorts of different ways. That citizenship impacts the way you and I practice our faith and live our lives even today. And that's what the remaining section of our passage really talks about. And so working backwards, we see that better city, but then we see in verses 7 to 9 that that citizenship is expressed. It is lived out in a passion for God's truth. Look at verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. Now think for a second about the occasion of this book. And I think we can all probably recognize that a drift away from the faith is almost always linked to a drift away from the truth of God. Friends, I don't have to tell you that there are a lot of narratives There are a lot of stories, we could call them worldviews or philosophies, but there's a lot of narratives and a lot of stories out there that all claim to be true and to offer truth. There's just, for example, there's the story of materialism that is out there that says if we just accrue enough stuff and and reputation and stats, then we will uh, have a full life or we will experience life to the fullness. There's a a very prevalent story of, of wellness, we'll call it that, of wellness that is out there that says if we just remain true to ourselves and and find the right balance in our lives, then we will find life itself. So this story tells us that it's all about authenticity and believing in yourself. That's what's key. It's it's all about finding and living by your truth and no one else's truth. That's a story that's out there. There's even the stories of religion that we've seen throughout can sometimes even get in the way because so much of religion out there says that we just simply need to clean ourselves up before we can be accepted before God. We need to somehow earn our way back to God by all of our doing and by all of our earning. And so these stories are out there amongst many more voices that are out there, and they all claim to be true. They all have their own liturgies. They all have their own prophets. They all have their own teachers. These voices can be very powerful. They can call out to us each day. And let's face it, they probably demand less than Jesus does. They probably demand less. They're probably not as costly. They're not as inconvenient. They probably don't demand as much time and money and giftedness. And at the end of the day, their strategy is often very subtle. But they promise very much, but at the end of the day, we all know they are built on falsity. They deliver, or they promise very much, but they deliver very little. And so in steps the writer of the book of Hebrews and pleads, don't drift away. Hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to what is true. Don't build your lives on falsehoods. You see, being a citizen of heaven means that we build ourselves on the truth of God. 
It means that we preach this gospel, this good news to ourselves every day because we understand how subtle that drift away can really be. It means that we are on guard and we are passionate for the truth of God that is given to us. We're not passionate for it because we are somehow better and we've figured it out when nobody else has managed to do so. It's not because we posture ourselves as smarter or more enlightened or even more superior than all others that are out there. Instead, we rejoice in the fact that not so much we found the truth, but the truth of God found us. It found us where we were. It humbly recognizes that that truth that has found us really and truly at the end of the day is the only path to true life. And so citizenship is expressed in a passion for truth. But then again, working backwards, we see that citizenship very simply is expressed in love. Verses 1 to 6. Look at verse 1. It says, let brotherly love continue. Now notice that it says continue, which I think is sort of beautiful here. Whoever's receiving this letter, we don't know, again, who it is or what the occasion is, but whoever is receiving this letter has already been characterized by brotherly love. They deeply love one another already, and so the writer just simply urges them to continue. Now, as I thought about that passage this week, uh, I thought about our church, our local congregation here at City Church. And one of the things that I often tell people is that as the pastor, I often have a, a sort of unique view of our church, a sort of thousand foot view of our church. And that unique viewpoint um, is a beautiful one because I know enough to know that some of you that worship in our community really love the city. And I know that some of you really love the country. I know that some of you are politically closer to the Democrats, and I know that some of you are politically closer to Republicans. I know that some of you would characterize yourselves as progressive liberals, and I know some of you would characterize yourself as conservatives. I know that some of you are very wealthy, and others really struggle to pay the bills each month. I know that some of you have grown up here in the United States. Others have grown up in other cultures or other contexts and other places. And yet, despite it all, I get to see just how much we love one another in this congregation. That I get to see that we don't always let partisanship and cultural divisions and all the other things that could get in the way, we don't let those things get in the way of our love for one another. And that, friends, is beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's a mark of the citizenship of heaven. And it's something that is beautiful that God has made true in our midst, but it's also something that we need to protect at all costs. Friends, our little church can and does have a lot of weaknesses. We have a lot of deficiencies But if we love one another, then we really and truly can change the world. Well, what does it look like? Well, our passage tells us it looks like radical hospitality to both friends and strangers, verse 2. It looks like caring for prisoners, for those who have been mistreated, verse 3. 
It looks like protecting marriages from all sorts of threats like sexual immorality. We see that in verse 4. It looks like protecting ourselves and holding each other accountable from the love of money, verse 5. All these are characteristics of the citizenship of heaven. And all of them, at the end of the day, have to do with love. I couldn't help but be reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard it at all the weddings that you go to that beautifully remind us that we are nothing without love. We are nothing without love. And so we see this beautiful heavenly city that's presented to us. We see that citizenship in that city is accomplished through the gospel. We see that it's expressed in a passion for God's truth. We see that it's expressed in love. But perhaps the greatest characteristic of this citizenship is this, that the citizens of heaven look to Jesus as our pattern of the truth and as our pattern of love. Look at verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. What's the writer of Hebrews getting at? Well, in the ancient world, uh, city, people thought of cities differently than they do today. Uh, in the ancient world, cities were looked at as places of refuge. Uh, today, we might see that cities uh, may, might be a little dangerous than uh, the country, but in the ancient world, uh, it was actually the reverse. In the ancient world, the walls of the city were symbols of refuge and protection. And so to be cast out of the city, to be exiled from the city, meant that you were subjected to all sorts of risk and vulnerability. You would be exposed to the lawless nature of the wilderness outside the walls of the city. And so what is Hebrews doing? It's reminding us that Jesus was cast out of the city. It reminds us that he was exiled from refuge. He was arrested. He was stripped. He was beaten. He was taken outside of the city walls and crucified for you and for me. He was forsaken and exiled from the refuge of the city so that you and I could find refuge, so that you and I could find peace and joy in that heavenly city, so that our citizenship could be rooted in that heavenly city and we never have any fear that we would be exiled due to our sins. And so, friends, the writer of Hebrews offers this beautiful and powerful conviction. If you're thinking about drifting away, then look to Jesus. Hold fast to him. Hold fast to your confession because no other path, no other worldview, no other philosophy, no other road gives you what Jesus does. It will be costly, it will be inconvenient in all the best of ways. Jesus will demand much from you on this journey of faith. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the only way to that heavenly city. Jesus is better. Let's pray.